real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is a suicide and abuse survivor, a TEDx speaker, and the founder and CEO of Cope Notes, which is a text-based mental health platform that provides daily support to users in 100 countries around the world. Welcome to the show, Johnny Crowder. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. I'd love to hear your story and your background as a suicide and abuse survivor. I think I'm just like every other entrepreneur because 99% of entrepreneurs I've ever met set out to solve a problem that they experienced. So that does not make me unique. I'm just like every other entrepreneur in that sense. I think what makes my problem unique is that I didn't really face a business challenge. I faced more of an interpersonal challenge. So I grew up in an abusive environment with pretty severe OCD, PTSD from the abuse, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, pretty severe depression and anxiety. And so I had all of these different diagnoses. I had no idea how to deal with any of it and neither did my parents. So we all just kind of like looked the other way for as long as we could until my behavior became so erratic that we had to do something about it. Ignoring it was no longer an option. So I started treatment against my will. I can't take credit for actually starting on my own. My mom took me to the hospital in high school and I started treatment then and I was a total brat. I did not enjoy my treatment experience for a long time. I was not cooperating. And so long story short, I went to school for psychology started volunteering in the mental health space. Then I started working in the mental health space. Then I launched a volunteer project called Better People that became a volunteer project called Not a Therapist that became a company called Cope Notes. So I want to smash any preconceived notion that I am some tech maven or that I set out to start this. I'm not one of those like startup bros. Like I'm going to I'm going to build the next unicorn. I literally just experienced a challenge in my personal life, looked for a solution and couldn't find a great one and built one. And then that became a company. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about each stage of that? Yeah. So better people, this is the one that nobody knows because it never freaking actually got off the ground, right? It's doing peer support for a long time, which was basically, let's say I live with bipolar one and hypothetically speaking, you also live with bipolar one. That means us talking to and supporting each other in a healthy manner is called peer support. It's just, I understand where you're coming from and vice versa. So I've been doing that for years. And Better People was built to be a peer support group and no one would give us meeting space. So this is like pre, everyone's so used to telemedicine now that it's like not a huge deal. But back in the day, you couldn't just Zoom chat or text a therapist or anything. It was like not really a thing. And so meeting together in person was the only option. And that was supposed to be a peer-led peer support group that I tried to run for like six months. It was hard to get people to show up. It was hard to get people to give us meeting space. It was free. So we'd never had any money to like do anything. And then I created Not a Therapist, which was a digital peer support resource. But again, this is pre-telehealth revolution. So it was kind of like a name your, you could pick a session length. You could pick an appointment, like a session time. You could pick your communication methods. So it was like Skype or phone call or Facebook message or text message or whatever. 
And I ran that for about a year. And then uh, that was also free. So we had no freaking money. So it was hard to get anybody to help me. I was working my butt off trying to make it work. It was all this big volunteer project and it just couldn't scale. And I would go on tour. I couldn't help people. When I was working at my day job at the time, I couldn't help people. So I wanted to build a fully scalable version of that get, that could serve people when I wasn't available. And that's kind of how Cope Notes started. That makes sense because the other... You'd have to be literally available, whereas Cope Notes is kind of somewhat more automated, I guess. Can you explain what Cope Notes is and how it works? Cope Notes sends randomly timed text messages that train your brain to think in healthier patterns by interrupting negative thought patterns. So it is one of the coolest things I've ever heard of in my life. It's basically, so I went to school for neuroscience and I was learning that a huge part of, uh, I was in CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, for yeah, I'm actually still in it. I still do therapy. A huge component of that is interrupting thoughts, interrupting patterns. It's such a huge cornerstone of CBT. And I was like, but how can we automate the interruption of negative thoughts? Because it's so hard, just like it's hard to tickle yourself. It's hard to surprise yourself. It's hard to interrupt yourself. So I was like, I want to build a mechanism that can do that. So Really, Cope Notes takes these little messages that contain psychology facts or journaling prompts, exercises, some type of health education information that's written by peers with lived experience. So real humans, it's not a chatbot, real humans write these messages, but then we use artificial randomization to deliver them. So no two people ever get the same text at the same time. There's people in countries all over the world receiving different texts at different times. I don't know what you're getting. You don't know what I'm getting. And that randomization actually helps keep the brain surprised. These text messages, can people reply to them and get messages back? Or is it just incoming texts? So it's yes and no is the answer to that. So yes, they can reply. We encourage people to journal back in their text thread, but it is that it is a journal. So just like a physical journal is not going to judge you, it won't report you, it won't store any of your personal information. It's just a journal. It exists for you to build your self-report, to learn to express yourself, to practice mindfulness and emotional intelligence. So this is exactly that. It's a journal that you can use to some people never text back. Some people text back literally 75 times a day. But we want it to be that safe space for someone to speak freely and then and know that they can say whatever they want, whenever they want, because it's 100% anonymous and confidential. Okay. And then do you have any sort of like AI where when someone does text back, let, let's say that they're talking about a problem that they're having or that then it can generate text messages that kind of relate to that issue? Yeah, so we've been for years, we've been working on making our library smarter than it was yesterday, right? So imagine if a journal over time could learn what best content would be most relevant for you based on what you're journaling. So we've been teaching our library for years to listen a little bit better than the day before, just based on keywords and keyword strings. So we don't have like, I'm very, I'm a broken record when it comes to privacy stuff, but we don't collect any names or protected health information, anything like that. But we do want our library to keep a good track of like, okay, this phone number is associated with journaling prompts about these types of things. 
how smart can we be as a library to maybe serve them content that would be best suited for what they're journaling about? So we always encourage people to journal because when they do, they're teaching the library what would be most helpful. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So is it all text-based or like can they log in to copenotes.com and like see their journal entries that way? Or is it they just need to really just keep it on their phone and scroll through? The whole point of making it SMS, well, one of the points of making it text-based is so that people without smartphones can use it. So we don't want there to be a lot of very high-tech or web-based parts of it. But we do send people links sometimes, and we do have a web app so people can update their preferences. And so we do have people sometimes, people will go there to like change uh, their text window, like won't text me before 10 a.m. because I sleep late or whatever. That's where they would do that is online. But 99% of their entire experience is just inside of a text message thread. How many text messages do you get a day? Is it just one a day, random at random times? Oh, yeah, it's, it's one text per day at a random time. And then we also have an option for two texts per day. And the reason why is because if we text people less than once per day, we don't offer the consistent interruptions necessary to form new neural pathways. So there is a consistency element. It's got to be at least once per day. But if we text people more than two times per day, then people start to expect it. And it's no longer a surprise because they're getting so used to receiving these text messages, they habituate to receiving them. So we found the sweet spot to be between one and two messages. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I'd love to hear, I mean, I guess you kind of already explained how you got the idea, but as far as actually building it and launching it, and I know you bootstrapped it, can you kind of tell us about that process? Yes. So... Early on, I ran everything myself. So I was like, it was a free version of WordPress. I actually used money from my day job to print these little flyers and stuff. And I was handing them out at gas stations and stuff. It was like not the most intelligent marketing strategy, but I just wanted to get the word out. I remember at the time, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, I would write every single text message that we sent. This was back in the day. When I was launching, I wrote every single text message into a Google sheet. And then I would try to come up with random times. Think, I don't know, like 2.47. And I would write down 2.47. It was all in Eastern time. So we didn't offer other time zones or anything. And so today, no two people ever get the same text at the same time. So it's completely differentiated. Everyone has their own unique text sequence. And I, I think kind of importantly... The texts are delivered in local time, whereas when I was working on Coke Notes originally, I would write one message per day. Actually, it wasn't even once per day. It was like five per week or something. And then I would come up with a random day, a random time, and then I would schedule that text to be delivered to the entire list based on my local time zone. So there's no way we could have served other countries because it would have just been texting people in the middle of the night. And I was copying and pasting sign-up information from WordPress into Stripe. It was such a mess. I made so many mistakes. Originally, I was sending the messages from my own phone on Google Voice. So I signed up for a Google Voice number, and then I was texting these people once per day. Literally copy the text, paste the text, paste the phone number, press send. Over and over and over again for all these people. Eventually, I found this online text scheduler that was for marketing. It was like an SMS marketing tool. And I switched to that and I 
just kind of jerry-rigged that in order for it to kind of work for our use case until we had like a good amount of people using it. And then I'm like, okay, now we have to switch again. But it was very incremental. And I was always using the free version or the SMS thing that I bought was 20 bucks per month. I was so intimidated. Like I don't have money to start this. And it's like, dude, I got 20 bucks for the whole month to see if I can make this thing grow, you know? Wow. How many users do you have now? I'm going to tell you the exact number because I can. So it's probably going to be different by the time this podcast interview airs. But right now on our website, there's a live count and we have exactly 25,700. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that would be a lot of manual work if you had to send those out individually. Even initially, it was 25 or 30 people, and it was still taking a ton of time to make sure I got all the phone numbers right. And then, oh, heaven forbid if somebody canceled. And I'd be like, oh, wait, what phone number are you? What email is it tied to? And how do I cancel it on Stripe? It was like nothing was automated, but at least it worked few people liked it and a few of those people are still subscribed today which was mm. which is mind-blowing it's been like four and a half years since then and some of those people are still using it now that's gonna be my next question how long it's been so four and a half years okay that yeah that's quite a few users in that amount of time so then as far as the software and whatever that you use now to streamline the process so it's like an sms text messaging platform and is that Pretty much it. In terms of the tech? Yeah, like just how you run the... I mean, I guess you'd still have to use a payment processor, but then is it all streamlined? Yeah. Everything kind of integrates with each other? Yeah, and that was kind of the hardest part. We had, uh, fortunately, because I'm not a technical founder, so I know how to code some stuff, but not near... Obviously, I wasn't doing a great job when I first started. So someone actually reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, I'm a developer and I'd be happy to take a look at what you're working on. And I was like, I don't have any money (laughs) to pay you, so you can take a look, but I can't really afford hiring you or anything. And he was like, just pay me per project. So you pay me like 50 bucks to fix this thing for you, 100 bucks for if you want to build this thing. And I was like, oh, I mean, I can save up to do that. Like a hundred bucks here, 50 bucks there. And it was like in these manageable little chunks where eventually I hired him full time and he worked here for a number of years. But it started with like little project here, little project there. And there are a bunch of different components of what we do. Like there's a tech scheduler. There's obviously the front end. So like WordPress, people filling out forms on our website is activating their Stripe subscription, which then activates their code note subscription on this text scheduler and then the stop sequence is all automated and they get email receipts and and reminders and so it's fairly everything's all integrated and tied together but i can't take credit for doing it all myself because i've had help from some really really intelligent people yeah but it sounds like you just paid for things as you could in small chunks love that bootstrapping along the way kind of like taking money that you earn and then or even from your day job and then Mm -hmm. using that for the business Yeah, one of the things that was most intimidating to me early on was this idea of like, how much do I have to pay a developer? I'm like, I don't have tens of thousands of dollars. And I think what I really needed to hear was, Johnny, you don't need tens of thousands of dollars right now. You'll need it eventually. But right now, I can almost bet, like if someone is listening to this, they're building a business right now, and they're like, man, well, I don't really have 50 grand to hire this person that I need. And it's like, dude, 
If you can scrape together 250 bucks and go to Fiverr, go online and find somebody who will do a quick project for 250 bucks, that task that you need done can get done. So don't break it up into full-time salaries for employees if you don't have the money. Break it up into individual tasks and see, hmm, how much would it cost to do this and that? And you might find that you could still tackle four or five tasks this month without having enough money to hire that person full-time. It's just breaking it down. Yeah, I use Fiverr for a lot of stuff. Well, I do a lot of stuff myself, but like stuff that's design related, I'll go on Fiverr. If you spend 20 hours and you're like, I'm going to learn everything I can about graphic design. I'm going to mess around with stuff and see if I can make good stuff. And if after 20 hours, you're like, I'm getting no better at this. I don't like it. It's not enjoyable. I'm not doing a good job. Then you can decide to hire somebody. But the odds are that if you if you really spent 20 hours, 20 hours trying to do something, you might be able to get good enough to do the first version of the thing you need done. And that was definitely my approach early on. I thought, I don't, you know, I've never built a WordPress site before. And I'm like, well, let me look up a bunch of YouTube videos about building WordPress sites and look up tutorials online and see if I can do it. And I think most of the time after 20 hours, you do have a good sense of whether or not you should do it. Done is better than perfect. So it, something mm -hmm. out there and then yeah just build from there basically it's been really hard for me like growing up with ocd and having this idea that everything needs to be perfect this certain way i remember one time someone sent me a message on linkedin they were like hey i just want to let you know that there's a typo on one of the pages of your website and i was like oh what the heck have i done i can't believe i did that and then i'm like wow i'm so grateful to know and I'm so glad I didn't wait to publish that page of the website until I was 100% perfect at, or 100% sure that everything was perfect because that person never would have even seen the website if I kept waiting. So it was actually a little reminder like, yo, it's better to have it out there and circulating and people discovering it and teaching you about what needs to change rather than keeping it under lock and key and changing it yourself, imagining what people want to see. Like, put it out there and let people tell you what they want to see. Yeah, or at least release, like, a beta version of things. Totally. What other, like, tips would you have for someone who's looking to start a business on a budget, primarily either a software program or an app or something like that? So if I could go back in time, I mean, back, 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 before I started the company, I probably would have tried to find a co-founder because doing it myself was so and is really challenging still to this day. But if I would have had someone with a complementary skill set from day one, I didn't hire our first employee until like after a year of doing it on my own. And I needed help every single day of that year before we hired that person. So I would say, number one, if you can find help before you start, that would be great. That's kind of ideal. And if that person has different skills than you, then they may make a good partner. But the second thing I would mention, and this is true whether you have an existing business partner or not, the second thing that comes to mind is before you build something of your own, my encouragement to you is try to see if it, I mean, painstakingly put so much effort into trying to figure out if it already exists or something very similar exists, then see if you can bring your idea to an existing company or organization who might want to integrate it. Because right now, if you don't have money to build this thing, but you know it's great, 
and you approach a, a local foundation or a local business and you say, hey, this thing would be amazing for your business, you guys have a budget. I can build that for you on your budget. And you never know. One of those places could be like, I mean, that sounds really cool. If we could integrate that and you seem qualified, sure, here's 10 grand. See if you can put something together. And all of a sudden you have a little operating capital, which would be great. So first, try to make sure it doesn't already exist. Second, try to see if you can shop it around to an organization that does have a budget. So you're at least building with someone else's capital because 10 grand might not hurt a company that makes a million bucks a year. But for you, it could be really challenging personally. And the third thing in that same vein is after you've tried to see if it already exists, after you've tried to shop it, the third thing is find the closest thing you can to what you're trying to build and see if you can hack it to do the thing you want it to do for your beta. Rather than having to build a whole new thing, see if you can kind of leverage, like for example, what I was doing with Google Voice, Google Voice number was free. I just did a lot of copying and pasting. Google Sheets was free. I was like, I can take things that already exist and string them together in such a way that I can put a prototype together. So my encouragement is you don't need to build every part of it. You could take a few things that are already built and put them together in a new way. And maybe that can be your beta rather than you having to build from scratch. Yeah, I love that. that those are awesome takeaways and definitely some insight that I hadn't heard before. So definitely helpful there. And Wow. I appreciate your time today. Uh, and people can find out about Cope Notes at copenotes.com. And then your yep. personal website is johnnycrowder.com with two N's. And then I'll have show notes as well with links to everything at the sarahstjohn.com forward slash Cope Notes. Were there any last words that you had before we end? So I want to say something that might be controversial, but I always want to say it whenever I'm talking to entrepreneurs. I want you to seriously consider whether or not starting a company is going to solve the problem you're trying to solve. So this is why I'm so adamant about make sure it doesn't already exist. Make sure you can't build it inside of another organization. I think a lot of people think, including myself, I think, well, why don't I just build it? While that can be an amazing experience, it can also be extremely challenging. And some days, the only thing that's kept me going when this has gotten hard, and trust me, it has gotten, I've thought about quitting a hundred times since I started this. So it's no walk in the park. But the one thing that has helped keep me going is I know that I've already tried those other things. I tried looking for it and it didn't exist. I tried shopping this to existing organizations and it, they didn't pick it up. If I want this thing to exist, this is the only way it can exist. So sometimes the only way you can have that sort of radical dedication you need to build something is the knowledge that you've already tried the other options and they didn't work. And you almost feel somehow more driven to be like, well, then gosh, dang it, I'm going to build this thing. So I just encourage you to really check if you are the right person to build it or if this is the right thing to build, because there's zero shame in saying, maybe there's an easier way to do this. In fact, I would argue that some of the best entrepreneurs in the world have built incredible things by asking that very question. Is there an easier way to do this? So please know it's not Entrepreneurship is not designed to be easy. It is one of the most difficult things anybody can do. Don't shame yourself for getting frustrated or feeling stuck and always be willing to ask, is there an easier way to do this? And the easiest way might be 
for you to build it yourself. It might be for you to build it with somebody else, but always, always be willing to ask for help. And that's it. I'm going to hop off my soapbox now. (laughs) Well, I love it. That's a great way to end the episode. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Totally. I love the whole concept of the show. And I love that there are people listening to shows like this. It's bringing up a whole new generation of people who are excited to build cool things. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.